What's going on, guys? Welcome into another episode of The King's Table. We are back for episode four, and we have had some extremely overwhelmingly positive feedback from so many of you guys. Now, I will say we've gotten some haters, you know, of course, always chiming in, which I actually love, and I I actually see a ton of value in that. And we've also gotten a ton of great constructive feedback, um, suggestions, questions. Uh, So keep that coming at 844-447-1555. One of the ones that I wanted to address before jumping into today's episode was that um, some of you don't like the title. And just to um, preface, we are not attached to the King's Table being the title of this segment and episode. So we'd love any of your thoughts, comments, you know, suggestions, uh, the purpose and the idea I think that Ash had come up with the King's Table was that essentially all four of us are constantly striving to be, you know, the leaders uh, that often are associated with that particular title. But I also understand that, you know, from certain people's perspectives that might come off as egotistical or arrogant, um, or, you know, oftentimes there's stigmas that come along with certain words to certain people. We're not here to serve everybody. We don't care uh, necessarily what everybody thinks, but we do want to know thoughts and opinions and feedback because ultimately, if those align with the vision and the goals of what we are trying to accomplish here through these conversations and through this segment of the podcast, we want it all. So keep it coming, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. With that being said, today we got a great episode for you guys. There has been, over the course of the last you know, few years, really since the pandemic, a lot of people have got into either promoting and raising money and closing on deals, or on the other side, have been involved through investing as limited partners on deals. And with the market shift that has occurred over the last year, uh, not many people pictured it getting to where it's at today. And with that being said, it has created a lot of challenges for real estate investors and operators and sponsors and the investors in the deals. And we have a really dynamic conversation today around the difference between good deals and bad deals and a good opportunity with bad timing and luck fraudsters and people that were taking advantage of the market and taking advantage of unsophisticated investors. And really this idea of playing in the gray area, not just in real estate investing, but in business, in life, and ultimately a very interesting debate from very different perspectives on what is right, what is wrong, when are we getting into a place of a gray area versus black and white, and ultimately how that ties in with with your values, potentially creating good opportunities and or very dire um, circumstances, which you'll understand what I'm talking about more in the show. We also dug into some of our favorite political candidates and what we're seeing out on kind of this campaign trail and who we like and who we don't like. So we brought in some different topics today. Uh, Some of them got a little saucy, a little heated, So I think you guys are going to enjoy today's topic in the episode, but I want to acknowledge many of you guys have been talking about wanting more tactical information, more things outside of just real estate that tie into the business side of 
wealth building and talking about how to build up a business or to turn around a business. What do we focus on in terms of revenues and OPEX and operational efficiencies? And so we are going to be focusing on some of that in upcoming episodes. So we're taking notes, we're taking feedback, and we want to keep this conversation rolling in the right direction. So thank you so much for the support. Again, don't forget to share it out with a friend, a family member. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. It would greatly mean the world to me and all of our hosts to get your support. And of course, don't forget to check out millionermindcast.com for all the great stuff that I got available for you guys. So without further ado, let's dig into today's episode of The King's Table. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers customers, leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. We've been talking for like five or 10 minutes here, listeners, but welcome back to the King's Table. I think some of the stuff we just did, you're going to hear later because it was too good to not record. But I am back with my four friends today. I'm Aaron Muchastegui. I am, uh, I am the trend spotter. I love real estate. I love real estate metrics and economic futures. We've got Mike Ayala on here. He is the sage that we just figured out with the highest age. He's got one of his kids getting married next week, which is just mind blowing. So tons of experience coming from him. Ashish is our hostess with the mostest, but I'm taking over for just a little while today, and then we'll hand that back. And Maddie A., Maddie Aitchison from the West Coast, my friend for a long time, the hero of hospitality. What's up, boys? What's up, bro? What it do? So good. So good. Dude, that that was good. I think good. I just got put out of a job, baby. I love it. The, we would have to rename you and that would mess up everything we've already published on our first two episodes. So you still have it, man. Like you locked it yeah. in as you were getting started. You know, we've been texting and chatting and Instagramming all of these different articles and topics that we think are important. We've had people reaching out to us too, saying, what are your guys' thoughts on this? What are your guys' thoughts on that? And I had a kind of an interesting concept that I thought we should talk about today, at least for a little while, at least for this first half. And so there's a couple of stories out there that have really been on my mind lately. And it's kind of that like, we're all entrepreneurs and we've had this different versions of entrepreneur success. And when we see failure, especially failure that like hits the media, it's so easy. And I see this like it's so frustrated because it's so easy for people to come in after the fact and really, really judge people that fail. 
and, and kind of say like, I'm better than, I wouldn't have done that. I can't imagine that would happen and really put people in these places. And so like one of them I was thinking lately was like the, the fire festival. You guys ever like watch the documentary on that? Yeah. So this guy that like goes after this really, really, you know, big move and he comes up with this event and he just masters social media marketing and he gets tons and tons of people, you know, to sign up uh, for this. And tons of people are signing up and going to the event. And like the long story short, if you guys have seen the documentary, kind of as the, like the last two weeks are unfolding, it was too big of a challenge. They couldn't get enough tents. They couldn't get enough people. They couldn't get the food delivered. Like the actual like operational side wasn't pulled off. And I was watching an interview that he did with, uh, with Jamie Gruber, the, as part of the, the Tribe of Millionaires podcast, where he said like, when did you know? And he ended up going to jail. He ended up going to jail for like fraud, for all these different things. And they said, like, when did you know that you actually weren't going to pull it off? Like, at what point? Because they're raising money every day. And he says, like, the night before when the rainstorm hits and the tents start flying away. So up until that moment, he's like, I'm still going to pull this off. And really, like, if you think about a couple different things, like, had the weather been different, would he have? Right? Had like the first food supplier showed up, would he have? So almost the coolest like success ever in that thing on a short period of time becomes a big failure. We've got uh, a good friend of mine just pled guilty in federal court for like charges relating to wholesaling real estate and helping people with their down payment to buy it from him, right? A thing that I know hundreds and hundreds of people have done before in transactions. Now there was this area and he made a lot of money doing it. So when did it become bad? When did it become a crime? I mean, I have opinions that I don't think it was a crime, but like, regardless, he's pled guilty and, and he's going to see what's going to happen later. But like, was it because he had done 40 deals? Was it because there was a couple of people that had too high of a like social media presence that actually crashed it? Was it because he had one person with hard feelings about wholesaling that made it unravel? And so Again, it's this interesting, had he stopped at 10 or 20 after he made 30 or $40 million, would his story be, that guy was a massive success? I cannot believe he went from zero to $40 million in 18 months. Because now the story, because as soon as he, he, he got in, in trouble, the story all over social media was like, oh, we knew that was going to happen. It was so easy for people to judge and say they knew better and all this stuff. When I talked to the like first 20 or 30 people that did deals with them and they loved the deal. They were excited. Mm -hmm. They all knew what they were signing up for. And so there's those interesting things. And then I think about really quickly, like one of my kind of major successes end of 2019. It's like beginning of 2019, we find a 1031 buyer that wants to buy $20 million of single family homes from us out in Texas. He has an apartment complex in escrow that he's supposed to sell sometimes that, that year. So in order to do that, me and my partner, JJ, were like, well, we first, we got to buy $20 million worth of houses, right, to be able to do it. And really, the goal was to buy like 15 or $16 million worth of houses to be able to sell it to them for 20, right? But like buying them at auction. So our step was we were buying them as foreclosures. Then we were fixing them. Then we were renting them. We didn't have that much money. So we were highly levered, like 100% levered, 10 to 12% interest. So every month, we're negative carry, right? We're paying $1,500 a month on $1,200 a month rent. Over those nine or 10 months, though, we get enough houses. And then his escrow gets delayed a couple of times. But then the escrow comes through and December 2019, right? 
He sells his apartment complex. He 1031s into ours. One of our biggest successes ever, right? Transferring those over. We keep some of the ownership long-term. Giant, giant success. One of our biggest paydays. Now, had his apartment not closed, how long could I have handled the negative carry? Had interest rates changed like they did, you know, 18 months ago on month seven or month eight, does that mean I lose it all, right? Does that mean I could have lost it all? Because really, frankly, I could have, right? Personal guarantees, all this stuff. Had a lot on the line for this giant thing. So I, I think that my journey during that time was the same as the people that are failing massively right now. Last example I'll give, and then I'm done talking the rest of the podcast because I think that you guys love a lot of fun <laughs> stuff on this. It's the apartment complex stuff that we talked about a couple weeks ago where somebody buys an apartment for 10 million bucks two years ago. They get an $8 million loan on it. It's value adds making $500,000 a month. That's great. Two years later, it's making 550. They've improved values. They've done their business plan. They did everything they were supposed to. It's a better asset than it was before. The only thing that changed is Fed rates are up. So cap rates are up. So now it appraises at $8 million instead of 10. So these people, when they go to refinance on their loan due, essentially they're getting foreclosed on. They didn't do anything wrong. They did the business plan exactly the way they planned. They probably even did it better than planned. But this outside factor that came in that no one could have predicted properly now puts them out of business. So instead of being an epic success, it's an epic failure. And the same thing happens. Judges come out. Oh, everybody that was a syndicator is evil. Everybody was stupid. Why did people trust the people anyway? There were plenty of those too, where people should have never actually been the syndicator. They should have never jumped sources. But I think there's plenty of examples where they did it all right. But instead of getting to be a huge success, it's a huge failure. So that's the topic I want to talk about today. I think you guys probably have some examples. I'd love to hear maybe, um, you know, Maddie, I see you like nodding your head and ready to jump in. What is, what, like, what do you think about? When, when, I, when I kick it off like that? I think <clears throat> there's a couple different things I think of because if we're thinking about the same person, I said from day one, I thought what he was doing was wrong. And I, and I thought it was going to catch up with him and it did. I have nothing to bad to say about that individual in terms of their personal, you know, personal life. But it, it was one of those things where I think, you know, operators, investors, and really, I think if anything, it just shows the small margin of error and difference between life being for certain people successful and quote unquote, a failure. And I could go back on so many points in my timeline and go, man, if I would have done that a little bit differently, I would have been way more successful. Or if I would have done that a little bit differently, I would have not failed, right? Or, or it could have been a massive failure. So it is really hard, I think, to cast judgment on a lot of these scenarios. But I think there's kind of buckets that you can put it into, right? Which is fraud is fraud. Breaking the law and knowing that you're playing in a lot of people like to say, I like to play in the gray area. Well, at the end of the day, gray area is not in black and white. Therefore, you're essentially stepping into territory that you know could be categorized as out of integrity or unlawful, right? So that's a character thing for me, which is you're going into, and don't get me wrong, I've played in the gray and I've been one of those people that is a gray area player. And there are times that I have gotten caught and gotten in trouble in my life. I got expelled from high school because I played in the gray area. 
I got arrested in college because I played in the gray area, right? So I've had real life experiences where don't get me wrong, I like to push the envelope, but I think there's a time and a place for it. And we'll just talk about in the context of deals. If you want to play in the gray area with your own money, that's one thing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because you're taking the risk on behalf of yourself and only yourself. But now when you start thinking about syndicators and investment deals and pooling people's funds and actions and decisions that make a difference and impact in other people's lives when they have no say in that, and they've relinquished that over to you, um, I think that's where now some of the philosophical debate around what's right and what's wrong comes into play. That being said, in this climate and environment, we have seen a lot of people that, like you said, there were, you know, black swan events or extraneous factors or variables in an equation that were completely out of their control. And it took what could have been a good opportunity that turned it bad when that person had good intentions, a good plan, and the rug was ultimately pulled out from underneath them. So it's a very interesting conversation. I'm curious to kind of kick it over to Mike and, and Ashish because I think one is a character issue when you talk about making decisions that are out of alignment with your character, out of alignment with your values, or that you know really are going to be heavily scrutinized by other people. And those decisions impact other people versus it just being you and your own deal. Um, But we've seen good deals in bad markets go bad. We've seen bad operators with, you know, okay deals or bad deals go bad. And then you've just seen the people that have been straight frauds and have tried to manipulate a loophole or a part of the system that they knew was not based in integrity, wasn't fully ethical. And while you could create a narrative and spin the argument to support maybe that stance and position, I think it's pretty easy to call a spade a spade in in certain areas of what we've seen in this market. It's exposed a lot of people that, you know, were frauds. It's exposed a lot of people that, you know, just got unlucky. And then it's also shown that, you know, when you're in the game and you do some of the right things, you know, and the win kind of swings in your favor, if you adjust your sales, you can get lucky too, right? Your example is a perfect scenario where if that dude's 1031 didn't go through, and you basically were skating to where the puck was, making a bet, planting your flag and saying, if this dude doesn't meet us to where this puck is skating, we're going to be in a hole. And does that mean your whole empire falls down? Maybe, maybe not. Or you go and you look at a backup opportunity and you, but that being said, I think, you know, you guys weren't doing anything illegal. And so I think there's a fine line between being illegal, unethical, lack of integrity, versus people taking risks and maybe getting caught with their pants down and some unfortunate events happening. That's the big boy, big girl rule of life, you know, clause, right? Is you take risks, you put your neck out there, you do something and step outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes the chips are going to fall in your favor and you get lucky. Sometimes you're going to get unlucky. But I think there's the underlying piece, which is ethics and integrity. That is the differentiator between those individuals yeah. that had a deal go bad versus, you know, had an unfortunate circumstance happen and it is what it is. I like that. And I, and I might have a couple of follow-up questions for you after we hear the other guys, but I think another part of this, Ash, Mike, that I'd be curious about too, um, is really just that idea. So had I 
had the 1031 not gotten through and I lost it all, everybody on social and all of our groups and everybody would, would have said, Aaron's out of his skis, shouldn't have done that. Like he should have known better, epic failure. I saw that coming. But mm. because I pulled it off, everybody's like, amazing story. We love it. They can't wait to hear about it. They ask me about it on all the podcasts. And it's like all the fair weather friend crap out there is just another thing that like, when I'm seeing, I'm seeing, we're seeing tons of failure right now. And it bugs me that I'm seeing so much kind of judgment afterward. Who's next? I'll go. So just, just the, anybody who's doing anything big is, is out over their skis at some point in time. And what I'm about to say, like, I'm not advocating for the gray area or any of that, but like, you know, over the last 10 years, um, if I talk to five different syndication attorneys about, you know, 506B versus C and what can I say on Instagram and what can I not say? And you'll get 10 different answers. Yeah. And so what's a little bit, I guess, and again, I'm not advocating for the gray area. A good friend of mine, Chris Harder, always says, good people don't do bad things. Good people in bad positions do bad things. And it's kind of like, okay, I could, I could like take that statement and split it down the middle and say, well, no, it, there's intent. And I'm not an attorney, but last year, I sat in a courtroom for three days. Um, I owned a business that I sold in 2014. And in 2013, um, we went under contract with the Yellow Pages. This will tell you how far, how long this thing has gone on because do the Yellow Pages even exist anymore? And I'll keep this story short. But um, I sold that business and I ended up having to go testify along with my service manager at that point in time. The guy that owns the business didn't even testify. They never even called him into the courtroom because he had nothing to say about it. So I sat in this courtroom for three days from something that happened in 2013. And this lawsuit's been going on for eight years. And it's costed the company that I sold hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars defending themselves in a contract lawsuit that we ended up winning. And afterwards, I don't know if you guys, this is the only time I've ever gone to court or, or been in a jury trial. But just watching this theatrics was super interesting to me because it, it's, it's just that. It's theatrics. And, and I started realizing like, okay, there's a, bunch of, there's a bunch of facts in the case. And then you got this jury sitting over there that's like, the, the attorneys are prepping us for two years. And they're like, I'm not going to tell you what to say, but here's how I want you to dress. And you know, the jury, the jury, even, even the day of, because I wasn't in jury selection, but even the day of, they're like, hey, don't wear that tie that we were talking about. They like wanted me to dress down a little bit. So I was like, I'm watching all of this. And I'm like, I think we have the best legal system in the world. But also at the end of the day, like what I realized is when you get over, just like you were talking about, like social media being the jury, there's an actual jury. And then there's a judge and the jury with all of our peers and everything else. And so I have so many thoughts around this. You know, somebody brought something up about, um, you know, social media. And, you know, in this day and age, we have to be so careful, not just with advertising for raising capital, but also just advertising in general. Because Aaron, like you said, you know, we, we use it for marketing and eyeballs and attention, but it can also be a double-edged sword because so many people have... If somebody failed 30 years ago, you know, maybe 100 people would know about it. But when you fail today, like th the bigger your social media following, you know, the, the bigger the fallout. And so I, I think I'm just, I'm not like really an armchair quarterback anyway. But after watching that whole, by the way, again, I, I said this, but we won that lawsuit. They just reached out to me the other day because they want me to come testify next year. 
in another lawsuit, Yellow Pages against another company. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this, this, is, this is crazy. It's a racket. <clears throat> it is. It's a racket. And at the end of the day, by the way, I'm not advocating again for you know, the gray area or fraud or anything else. But when people, when, just after watching that whole scenario, I'm, I'm kind of slower to judge like, what's actually going on. Um, even if somebody gets convicted or doesn't, just because yeah. somebody doesn't get convicted doesn't mean they weren't guilty. And just because somebody gets convicted doesn't mean, you know, that they, and there's another part of this. Too doesn't mean like they were intent. guilty. Yeah. Or yeah, even mean they were guilty. did they mean to, you know, was their intent? Because this is the thing that is so beautiful about our legal system. But just because I accidentally got myself in a situation doesn't mean I'm not guilty. It's just, you know, I might have a lesser charge because the jury and the judge and everything sees that. And so I, it, I'm, I'm kind of out in this, gray area on my own, but I'm just kind of, I'm slower to judge because I can see so many times when somebody gets themselves in trouble or has a win. You know, there's so many times that I've won and I'll, and I'll kick it over to Ash or whoever. There's so many times that I won where I've said, you know, even my first business, Inc. Fastest Growing Companies in America, 100 employees. I won because of luck. There was so much luck involved in that. I was so young and naive that I had to hire consultants and coaches and, and, and get out of my own way. I had to hire people so fast because I was so unskilled at business, leadership, accounting, sales, that I had no freaking clue what I was doing. And that's what made me a success. So, you know, we could look back at my success. And I've said this so many times in Emerge, Ascend, everywhere I'm speaking, I'm like, well, what was the key to your success? <laughs> I was so naive that I just listened, I paid experts and I just did exactly what they said. And guess what? It works. And so I don't know, I came out of the other side of that looking like a genius when I sold my business in 2014. But really, it was just a lot of luck. A lot of luck. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead, Mooch. No, go for it. I was gonna, firstly, I was gonna disagree with Mike, because I think, I think that you're saying you're lucky. So here's my, my two cents about all this. I actually have a lot of thoughts here. This is a really great topic, Mooch. Really, really good. So firstly, I think that you have to have skill in order to deal with unlucky or lucky situations. So Mike, you say you were lucky, but in reality, the skill that you had, which you can touch and feel, you can't touch and feel luck, but the skill that you had is that you knew that you didn't know anything. So you had to hire people, right? So is that lucky? I don't know. So the, the, the luck perhaps was market trends. You were, in a good, you were in a good market. It was growing. The economy was good. You're in America. You're a healthy you know, male. Like Those things, I suppose, are, are lucky, things you cannot necessarily control. But the, I think it goes back to like, well, what skills do you have and skills are you deploying to deal with either luck or unlucky situations? And Mooch... You know, there's a big when you when you go to your example about the deal you were talking about a few a few years ago, and um, Matt basically communicated this, but I'm going to reiterate. I think there's a big difference between taking risk and doing things that are illegal. And I think that everyone lives in the spectrum between risk and what is illegal. And in reality, nowadays. If 10 lawyers are going to tell you different things, even the lawyers don't know what's legal. So everybody has to have a different barometer of 
how far am I allowed or willing to push it? Going back to, um, I think all entrepreneurs really fake it till you make it, right? Mm -hmm. We have to fake it till we make it. By definition, we are frauds. By definition, we are selling something, selling a story, selling confidence, selling uh, the ability to deliver a product. Let me tell you guys what I do. I, somebody tells me to make something that they've never seen before off of an image or a scrap or concept. I have to go on the other side of the world. I have to make it hundreds and hundreds of them on the other side of the planet, something we've never touched or made before with completely custom finishes and designs, ship it across the world within a 10 to 12 week period of time. And that product has to last up to 10 years. Never made it before. And so there, there is an inherent nature of faking it till you make it, solving the problem until the storm comes. And I think what's really fun about this conversation is, is that I think that what you're exposing here, Mooch, is that human character, especially sideliners, fans, people sitting on the sidelines, love to be critics, to be watching the game and saying, I don't have the guts to get on the field and play, but I have no problem giving feedback of, Dude, Mooch, man, he was so over his skis. I know better. I know I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I wouldn't have done that. Or, or the envy syndrome of, oh man, I sh- I, I'm going to listen to him because he seems to know what he was doing. You may or may not have known. You may have had the skill, but you also had the luck that the deal closed on time. You could have also been unlucky that the deal didn't close, but it doesn't take the skill away. And then the last thing I'll share. And we can turn it back and have a deeper conversation. I think I've really been thinking about this concept about the difference between righteousness and narcissism. Okay, so Mm. let me elaborate here. Mm. So in leadership, in, in anything that you're doing, doing a deal, selling, having employees, building a business, selling a product, raising capital, everything is about convincing and influencing people. And by doing that, we define what is righteous. We define, we are chasing a vision. This is our mission. This is why we are doing what we're doing. We are right in our direction. We are right in the decisions that we make. We are right. um, You know, you define what is right and wrong. And, the, and, and I've experienced this personally, I've seen it in other people, that what you end up doing is you, there's a really thin line between righteousness and narcissism because you start to convince people so much that you're right that now it becomes self-serving. It no longer becomes right. It's only right because you said it was right. Doesn't mean it was really right. And so I think, and I think there's, that goes back to like the whole you know, fake it till you make it, like uh, imposter syndrome. So it's a little bit of a philosophical comparison. But I think that's where the lines are. I think there's a difference between risky and illegal. I think there's a difference between righteous and narcissism. And and you have to be really self-aware about when is it that I'm over the skis and taking risk? Or where is it that I'm over the skis and doing things that are illegal until I get caught? When When am I 
being a little too righteous? And when am I now tipped over into being narcissistic and it's gonna, I'm going to pay for it? So those are, those are my thoughts. But I, I love this topic. Let's keep going. Yeah. So much good stuff that you guys have started with with this, you know, and I, and I keep thinking of more like Elizabeth Holmes and the, uh, the Theranos stuff where when you see that documentary totally committed a bunch of fraud to keep people on board to like sell their contracts and things like that. But had they at the last moment been able to deliver the product that they were supposed to, the story's different. It's gazillionaires. And it would even be probably something people would laugh about. Like we tricked our investors into staying and we pulled it off at the last minute. There's the old story of like Bill Gates selling Microsoft before he owned rights to like the mouse, right? Like if you watch the old movie, Sil you know, Pirates of Silicon Valley, right? Somebody else had like built a computer and had this and he had no rights to it yet. And then he went and sold it as if he owned it. And now Bill Gates is Bill Gates, right? He was committing fraud. He was living in the gray. Like it was illegal, yet he's like taking over the world, you know, and the... And we just have those moments. I really like that idea of like fake it till you make it is required in business. You hear that all over the podcast. If you're in sales, somebody says, hey, can you do this? The answer isn't like, I think so. We might. We've never done it before. Let me yes, try. we can do this. The answer is we can do this. Have you done it before? Like most people are saying, oh yeah, we've done it before. And not thinking that that's like fraud at that moment. I just think that like, Almost every successful entrepreneur that's hit it, that's hit home runs, has been in that gray, has been right on the edge of like, could be fraud, could be not. Yet so many of those entrepreneurs are also very quick to judge. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of the best office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. You can visit upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. And if you sit all day long while you're at work and you've never tried a desk that can transition between sitting and standing, you got to. It'll be a complete game changer. My standing desk is by Uplift Desk. It's what I use every day to record the show, prepare the show, do all my office work. And I gotta say the transition from sitting all day to standing while I work at various times throughout the day has really made a noticeable difference for me. When I'm standing, I notice I'm way more focused and productive. I'm way more alert. And I even have a little standing treadmill under my desk now, which allows me to get some extra steps in while still plugging away on calls and getting work done. Keeps the blood flowing throughout the day, which obviously can reduce all types of different health risks and repetitive strain. And I've noticed that my posture has drastically improved since switching to an uplift desk as well because I'm not hunched over the computer all day. And while there's a lot of options out there for you to choose from, the reason I chose uplift desk is because of the quality. It doesn't wobble, it's completely stable, it's built to last, you can definitely tell based on the materials they use and they are customizable too, which is really cool. They let you build your custom dream desk by choosing over a hundred desktop choices and hundreds of accessories that you can build into the desk for your own perfect workspace. And you can do that by using the really fun to use desk configurator. And once you have your desk all designed and picked out, you order it, they ship it the same day, you get free shipping. They do free returns with free return shipping if something goes wrong. And the best part is they have an industry leading 15 year warranty that covers the complete desk, which was a really big deal for me. It shows that they stand behind their product for at least 15 years. So to get yours, go to upliftdesk.com and use the code MINDCAST for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com 
to get 5% off your entire order with the promo code MINDCAST. Others. I think, and let, me, let me respond to that really fast. I think that there's a, if all the best entrepreneurs in the world are by definition chasing something that hasn't ever been done yeah. or something that's quite different than what exists, right? Yeah. And We're, I think by, yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where the gray space lives is to try well, things if, unless you hit a wall. If you even look at, if you think about, I remember when I joined the Real Estate Guys Mastermind in 2016, like one of the first exercises we did in the Mastermind was like going through the hero's journey. So <laughs> you have to take this like, you're, you're like, you're, you're, you're dissecting just like Frodo, right? Like I'm like Frodo, I'm like a nobody. And then they're like, no, no, you've done some things, but we just have to really mine it out of you. And so like you're, we're taught to like write this story and almost, it's not embellish, but embellish. Like they're, you know, you're, you're making it a better version of yourself. And, and it, it's almost like, I, I'm just thinking about how there's so many things in our society today that almost lean us this direction or desensitize us. I'm thinking about breaking bad. Like who doesn't feel for Walt? Like yeah. Walt has cancer and he needs to, you know, he needs to like leave something for his family. And so he, this, this poor old guy that's like been, you know, straight edge his entire life now comes down with cancer and he's got no insurance and the school district is like screwing him. And so he becomes like one of the most ruthless meth dealers in the world. He's a murderer. And you're yep. like, I, I can kind of see how you got here, Walt. Like, it's crazy. It's like, yeah. Matt, what do you think? I mean, for me, I just think at the end of the day, there's going to be a narrative and a lens in which everyone can find something to support the actions and the decisions that they take, right? And so for me, I agree. It's a totally different dynamic in the world we live in with social media and how the keyboard warriors and the trolls and the gremlins have this direct shot and transparency into so many people's lives now, which creates a lot of different dynamics from, you know, a social construct. That being said, and I'll just speak from my own perspective, I judge people every day. That's just the truth. And I know people judge me every day. By human nature, you be judge. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. I've gotten, especially now with the world we live in, there's been some, I call it rhino skin. I tell my, my daughters about rhino skin. Like rhino skin is very hard to penetrate. And you could shoot arrows at it. You could throw daggers at it. And it, it, it takes a lot of damage to really be able to get underneath the skin and hurt the rhino. And so as time has gone on, I've developed my own you know, sense of rhino skin in the world of business and with relationships and all of the things that we all as humans now deal with on a daily basis. I think the people that are out there taking the risks are already aware of the um, potential upsides and downsides of being the man, quote unquote, in the arena, right? But for me, my judgment comes of others every day around and it's through the lens of my my values and my core values. And so that's where I think at the end of the day if you've got strong core values and you feel like you have clarity on your own moral compass 
you can judge other people with an understanding and respect that they may be different than you. But also at the end of the day, it still comes back to my final judgment, which is alignment with my values or misalignment with my values. And when I think about in the context of a lot of deals that have gone bad, when I get to the bottom of all of it, right, because there's a lot of gray area in a lot of these deals, my final judgment and decision around something being lucky or unlucky or good or bad or whatever duality of topic you want to, you know, kind of classify it as is, was it morally okay? And was it ethically okay? Or not? And I think it's pretty easy if we could all say, for the most part, probably all align on what we believe to be moral and right and wrong and fraudulent and ethical and unethical and integrity-based or non-integrity-based. And that's where I make my final decision. The guy that we're talking about, Mooch, do I think he is the worst piece of shit person on the planet and went out there looking to defraud everybody and do all of that? No, I'm not going to. But do I think he knew what he was doing was wrong and that it would potentially take one deal going bad? that he could be in a lot of trouble. I think any smart person in that position outside looking in, especially with somebody that was way close to everything that was going on, knew that this is probably if I go and get caught and they go through everything, there can be a pretty strong case that what I was doing was wrong. And I yeah. think that's where people make a decision on crossing that line or not of going from this was gray area to now I'm playing in an area that I think is wrong. And, and I think that's where the narcissist of going from righteous to narcissist. If you look at the definition, I just wanted to, this is from WebMD, so take it with a grain of salt. But that being said, <laughs> a narcissist is extreme self-involvement to a degree that it makes a person ignore the needs of what's right or wrong of others around them. While someone may show occasional narcissistic behavior, true narcissists frequently disregard the impacts on other people's feelings or well-being. And so when you think about that of going, well, this is a win for everybody and I'm winning and I'm making a lot of money, but so are they. So it's okay because we're all making money together. But then when you start getting into an arena where stuff you know, you start convincing yourself of all of these reasons why it was okay, even though if it goes wrong, now all of a sudden the arguments and the narrative can be completely different. That's where I think it's a shift from righteousness to narcissism. And I think we all, at the end of the day, I'll raise my hand, are narcissistic in our own ways. And I think there's healthy levels of narcissism. And I also think that there are very unhealthy levels of narcissism that, again, philosophical debate, you can argue both sides of that coin. So I think, again, it's really challenging because there's always an argument, there's always a narrative, there's always a data set that we as human beings can now pull from to make an argument to support our position and stance. Well, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to wrap this topic with a couple of things, a quick fire round for you guys and some summaries that I still think Make it interesting. And listeners, let us know what you think about the conversation. I love the idea of like pulling the narcissistic part into it. 
and the and trying to give the users some action items too. Like, well, like what what can they make of all this, or what would I think? And my action items may be different than everybody else's. I think what's again unique about the the situation that we're talking about is there's tons of classes. Just say who it is and say what they did. Tell no, us what the court not, case number is. We can bleep it out. It's okay. The, not today, buddy. Not today. <laughs> well, they, we're, we will. We'll see it. We don't, we're on we don't there. have that much no, notoriety yet. We could just say we, who it is. It's we, all good. We could say all of our stuff. The funny part is there's so many courses out there that teach people exactly how to do that with wholesaling houses, right? There's paid classes that say, do this for a $100,000 house. Buy it for 60, sell it for 100. You're going to seller finance the $40,000 for the down payment and you're going to send it to them ahead of time. At $100,000 houses, nobody cares. Same business plan with a $10 million property. Or if rates are at 3% today instead, nobody's complaining about any of those deals. Rates being at seven. Let me interrupt you and ask you a question. Does size matter? (laughs) Of course. So the, so I think that that's, so when we're talking, when when we're talking philosophical, ethical, I say no, right? Right. Because I think it's the same philosophical, ethical question, but nobody seems to care about the hundred thousand dollar house, but they care about the $10 million when it's the same action. Would would anyone have cared if fire festival was was for 15 people and some private Island that, that got fucked up, but it wasn't, it was for like 5,000. Huh? Or SBF. Or like, yeah, or like Sam Bankman Free. Like the, like the, if, yep. if size matters in this case. So I guess with yours thing, I would say size does because the more people that are affected, but it might not even be quantity, it's the dollar volume, but like, what is that impact? And, so, and we're not even talking about legal because, like, even if, even if, even if your friend didn't, well, I shouldn't say it that way. Because sooner or later, if it affects too many people, it becomes a legal situation anyways. Yeah. So the, so as we but try I, to wrap this. I got, an, I, got an, I got a question for you, Aaron, being that you're, you're friends with him and you don't think that he did anything wrong, right? Yeah. That's your, that's your stance? Yep. So, so when he started doing things that on paper are written as illegal, or steering or not fully transparent, how do you argue that those are not morally wrong, knowing that, and there's a lot of nuances to this that obviously the listener doesn't understand, but doing certain things that he was doing with the bank, knowing that covenants and laws around that are pretty clear, how can you make an argument that that was not wrong? Yeah. So no legal advice here, guys, but we try to figure out what we can do. So Maddie, if I'm going to buy a house and I say, Maddie, can you loan me $40,000 for the down payment? Just you're my buddy. Can I borrow mm-hmm. 40 grand? I put it in my account. The, I, go, I go buy my house with that $40,000 down payment. Next year, I pay you back your 40 grand. Is that anyone's business? When it, when it comes to a lending requirement with a third party, if it's just you and I, I yeah. agree. That's, that's who, the big who, com- who completed the crime? Who did the crime? Did I do the crime by signing the document saying nobody gave me this money? Or did you commit the crime by loaning me 40 grand? I would think there's culpability on both sides. If it was fully transparent and disclosed that that is exactly what was happening. And so, so I, also- I bet a bunch of people that we know have loaned somebody money for down payment for real estate, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the crime. 
That's actually the, like the person actually buying a property saying, nobody gave me this money. Like that's the, that's the illegal covenant. If again, if Mike loans me 50 grand to go buy a house and the, and like, if it's as illegal, so that's, that's essentially the crime that's in place, assisting a down payment. Uh, and I think the people signing loan documents are more culpable than people loaning money for that. I don't I think- like, it's I just don't think that if you loan me money that you should go to jail if I committed fraud. But I think it's the same thing, right? Like when a bank is qualifying a borrower, right? And they think that there is money coming from a third party, what do they do? They go through and underwrite that gifting very significantly. Right. They're gonna, yeah, they're going to ask me, where'd Correct. you get that money? Correct. Right? Right. So, so, I, so I think there's culpability on all sides of it. But if we're talking about right and wrong, there is in this particular transaction, whether it's this party, this party, or this party, there was fraud in every aspect of right. this. Deal. So, so if, you loan me 40, if you loan me 40 grand to buy a house, you're committing fraud. 100%. 100%. All right. Who's committing fraud? Matt's committing fraud by giving him the money? Every, so that's the question. Because that's, every that's person actually- in this transaction knew what they were doing and knew that they were trying to pull a fast one without going the traditional legal way of the way these deals should have been structured. Would you loan somebody money for a down payment on a property? Yeah. I mean, I like, look, I, I'm not, I'm not as sophisticated as you guys when it comes I to have. this, but like if Mikey called me and said, Hey dude, I, I have, I have three deals I'm trying to close right now. I think this is, this is the big, big boy deal details, you know, send me 50 grand or hundred grand. Like, okay, I, I trust Mike. Now, do I know, why would I think that I'm somehow doing something illegal by sending here's, him money? Like, I mean, it's not, not the, look, I'm speaking out of ignorance, right, Matt? That's, that's, that's the moral ethical part of it to me. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's the same thing. I know, Matt, you think it's something different and we don't need to well, beat the, the, dead, I, the dead horse I, on act, it. Actually, I don't, I think the difference here, um, and I've, this is a good educational thing for it's people too. It's a fascinating too. topic. I think it's a fascinating, it fascinating is. topic. Yeah, because there's I, a lot of arguments to be made on both sides. I would just say the only caveat before you answer. It's Mike's turn, bro. <laughs> the nope. only caveat was that <laughs> they knew that that down payment was the only way the deal was going to get done. If it was just, hey, I need the money, that's one thing. But if it's, hey, this is the way it has to be done in order for this deal to go through, that's where uh, the wrong. So I'm like, Maddie, yeah. loan me 50 grand. No questions asked is legal. Maddie, loan me 50 grand so I can buy this house. Illegal. All right, Mike. Well, I was, I, I, I have some, I know someone very well that was involved in something very similar. I won't say it's this, but um, it, when I think the difference, Ash, if, if you let me $50,000, and, and I take that $50,000 and I go do some separate deal with it. And it's a legitimate $50,000 loan and you have no, you know, insight into the deal or anything else. I don't think that's really an issue. I think what happened here is the guy is wholesaling and the buyer who's buying the deal from him both know what's happening. And they're the ones that are... So the, the guy that's selling the wholesale deal is the one that's lending the money to the buyer. And so they're both very, very aware of what's mm. happening in the situation. So... I, I think that's where, by the way, I happen to know for a fact um, in, a, in a similar situation, I won't say it, it was in this deal, but um, the Pretty bank awesome. also <laughs> knew what was going on. 
Yep. The bank, the bank also knew what was going on. And so I think that's the only saving grace that's probably, you know, could have some, um, I guess, maybe and a little bit of... Le- yeah. So and what is... And attorney, said, and attorney said, this is legal. And bank said, we know. So what is the, this is a good, this is a good topic because this is good for people to learn about what to do and what not to do, right? For um, sure. We're kind of going fastball here, but what specifically is illegal? It is what is falsifying behavior? Okay. If you let me, let's like, just say, the, I'll go, I'll go, yeah. I'll go back to Aaron's, I'll go back to Aaron's case. And so let's just say that we're financing just to keep it smaller. We're, I'm going to a bank to borrow, you know, to finance a house for $200,000. And I need to put $60,000 down. You're, you're the seller. You're, you're wholesaling me this house. And I need $60,000 cash to, as the buyer that I don't have. The bank's making me put that $60,000 down. I don't have that $60,000. So you say to me, I'm going to lend you that $60,000 after the fact. As the seller. Yeah, but just, yes. But then the bank says to me, where did you get that $60,000? And I'm, and then I kind of hide it, and we figure it out, and and I'm not disclosing that I got it from you, and um, and maybe the bank doesn't care because, you know, the bank, not the bank, but the person that's doing the loan, doesn't care because they want fees, they just want to close, right? This is where I think the whole web gets tangled up because I don't want to say the bank doesn't care because the bank cares, the underwriters care, the the government, everybody cares except the three people that are near and dear to the transaction. The guy that wants to close the loan, the guy that's wholesaling the house in this scenario, and then me, the buyer, who doesn't have the money. And so we're all falsifying documents, basically saying, you know, my grandma gave me this money or... And it's probably just a disclosure that... Like, we're in this period of time where people don't actually care. Like, they don't do the So where's the harm? So I guess you're, 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 saying, you're signing documents that say there's nothing nefarious going on. So that's probably some contractual harm done. Because you're saying on bank documents that I don't know where I got this money or whatever, which is fine. But like normally legal things happen because somebody actually got hurt one day and, and that's why we have law. So like what, what is, who's getting harmed by three people trying to do a deal and doing something creative? Is the if bank market, getting hurt? If market goes up, nobody cares. Nobody gets hurt. True. If, if the, market goes down, bank gets hurt because they had to foreclose on or the person that buys it gets foreclosed on the actual moment that could, that the, the only part of the document of le- any loan that I've ever done has a line audit that says this down payment is coming from my own funds and I have to initial it and sign it every loan anybody ever does. And usually it's like among a bunch of things. So people are just signing, 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 but everyone is saying, this is my money I'm using as a down payment. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. I've never had a seller's document that said, you know, did you loan it? Like, I've never had a seller's document that said I was where I was signing something saying that I didn't do that. So I think my, so mm. anyway, where, where it's legal or illegal, I think that there, where I think it's without question is when you sign a loan document that says these funds are mine as a buyer. That to me without question is that's, you're operating outside that gray and you could be worried. And the reason like banks and people didn't care is because they wanted to make money and they thought the market was going up and the markets changed. That's what we're going to see a lot of this stuff over the next year because the market has changed. We're going to see syndicators getting sued for charging too many fees. And if the market had gone up, they haven't, you know, and there's people, I just, I just wanted us to shed light as we like close this up. So we have time for a couple extra things is it's like this gray area happens and the race happens. And, you know, somebody goes from single family to hospitality like Maddie and it's a success and it becomes this amazing story. And somebody you know, goes from single family, I'm going to build a tower in downtown Austin someday. And if it works out perfect, it's an amazing story. And if it doesn't, they're going to say, what business did Aaron have doing a tower in downtown Austin? And I know somebody that's, that's, you know, went into some big hotel projects that like, now it's easy to say like, oh, they shouldn't have been doing that. They didn't have the experience. But if it would have been a success, I would have thought it was great. So it's so easy to be a backseat pilot. My advice to our listeners is try not to judge over the next year because we don't see all the different pieces of it because a bunch of this stuff is going to happen. More and more of it's going to happen. And if the market kept going up, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have gone to jail. Nobody would be getting sued. This only happens when the market changes. I saw a ton of it in 2009, a ton of it in 2010. And that's why we were even more prepared with the way we did our funds. We knew that when the market goes down, that's when people get sued for those fees. Well, we don't charge fees in any of our stuff. We only do profit share because we didn't want there to ever be that. I remember, Mike, your court idea just rapid fire. We were in a, we, you know, we'd won every lawsuit we ever did. And one of our more, more recent ones we were in though, that we had somebody suing us. We sold him a house like 10 years ago. And the judge that was the mediator said, look, you're hundred percent right. You hundred percent disclosed everything. You guys have done nothing wrong. But the buyer is a nurse and a firefighter. And so when you go in front of the jury, they're going to say, does Aaron, the guy that has this many houses, does he deserve the money or not? And he said, you are not in the wrong at all. And he's a judge. And he says, but you're 100% going to lose. You're 100% going to lose. You should settle and write him a check right now because you're 100% innocent, but the person suing you is a doctor and a lawyer. So don't judge people. Don't judge on settlements because there are times when you could be 100% innocent and have to plead guilty to something or have to pay totally. something because you're managing risk. Hey, you might do 25 years, you might do zero, but if you plead guilty, you might do two. I had that happen when I was 20. They said, That's a good point. They said, if you don't plead guilty, you're doing 25 years. If you plead guilty, you're doing two. 
but you might get off because you do have some rights that like maybe, maybe you're going to do zero. And I had to make a calculated decision to try not to judge. And then the other thing that I think is probably the coolest thing for people right now is be aware of when you are lucky. I was in Sacramento in 2009 when the foreclosure crisis happened. If I was in Colorado or I was in Oregon or I was in Washington, I wouldn't have the story that I had. So we all have luck in our stories. Mike's timing, Ash's timing, Matt's timing. So listeners, when you're out there, entrepreneurs, when you're thinking about your journey or you're thinking about gray or you're thinking about illegal, know that like risks sometimes don't pay off. The market doesn't always go up. And also when you're in that moment and you actually are experiencing luck, when I got to Texas in 2015 and I stood at that auction, I was the only person saying at the auction, I was like, oh my God, this is my second chance. When you have luck hit you, everyone will have those lucky moments, some more than others realize it and go, okay, this is, this is my moment. Mm, I think we got to change I, topics. Well, actually, well I, I have, I, I'd like guys, to study. Go, go Mikey, go. Well, I was just going to say, and this is on the subject of changing topics, but kind of not really. We've talked a lot about fraud and a gray area, but I think the luck conversation is maybe something that is a little bit more, because I mean, we could all be exposed to some fraud and the things that are coming and everything else, but you know, I think of the book Three Feet from Gold. And, and what's the difference between the person that says, I went bankrupt and I almost went bankrupt? I was listening to uh, Jamie Kern Lima. She was speaking to a small group that I'm involved with like, like a month ago. And just hearing her story of no, 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 no for like seven years. And I mean, they, they, were, they were almost like they were, they were broke for so many years. And then boom, she's an overnight success and sells to L'Oreal or one of them for a billion dollars. And all we hear is like the billion dollar story, but she had so many stories of, of no and failure. And they, 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 they had like another week before they were going to lose their apartment, not even a house. Like, and so there's so many stories where it's like, I'm just wondering, an old mentor of mine said, I just don't have any quitting sense. Like, I just mm. don't know when to quit. And so I think that's maybe just a, a whether we do it today or another time, that's the other part of the story that Aaron introduced in the beginning. And we spent a ton of time on, you know, the fraud and the failure part. But like, I think just the fine line between, you know, the, the billionaires and, and he who's broke is just that. It's such a fine line. The fire Festival hurricane. Uh, uh, the only thing I'm no going to add to that, Mikey, is like this. I feel like this is a season that we're coming into of economic chaos, which often creates the most luck. So I'd love to see some like statistical evidence of successful entrepreneurs today. When, when was the average date those people started? Was it like 2014, 15, or was it 2008, 2009? Was it, was it after COVID? Was it 2001? Was it 1991? Like what these big economic cycles of chaos when things crap the fan, right? When, when things just blow up is, is most of the luck in a bottle sitting at those moments where people are like, okay, I'm going to jump on these opportunities and I'm going to go after it. And this is why you have to listen to this podcast, because this is where those ideas are going to come from. Cause I really think that the next couple months, weeks, we're going to start unpacking. Okay. Where's the next, where's the next 10 X luck to be had. And, um, I, and some of us may experiment with those things. Who knows? I, I think you're I think you're right in the sense that there's like opportunity and there is big winners during this time. But I think again, back to the no quitting sense, 
I think yeah, it's, I, I think it's a certain, it's like a certain type of individual that, you know, whether, whether you're coming into seasons of opportunity and recession or whether, you know, things are coasting along and doing well, like there's a certain, you know, for the audience, I think there's a certain type of individual um, that it's just that, like, I'm just going to keep going. And, and how many times have I almost been bankrupt? I've never been bankrupt. And I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't know if I ever will be, but I've never been yet. And, and I could have been so close <laughs> to, to it so many times. There's in 2007, I had, we were, we were growing so much and I had so many employees and we had a gold mine that I had crews working 24 seven around the clock. We were billing three to $400,000 a week to this gold mine. And one day I get a phone call at 6.30 in the morning from my foreman. And he says, there's a, the gate is locked and there's a chain on it and there's security everywhere here. And I was like, what? These guys were in trouble. The main reason why we were working there around the clock, time and material, was because the EPA had shut them down. Well, they ran out of money. So this was a Canadian company that ran out of money. They couldn't get enough money anymore. And they put a lock on the gate. These guys owed me $400,000. And I had them on a seven-day pay timeline. $400,000 was a lot of money for me at that point in time. And I literally thought I was going to go bankrupt. And I'm telling you about the quitting sense. I, immediately, I was like, what in the hell am I going to do? And I'm, so I'm, I'm reading articles and I, I'm sharing this because there's some insight into like, <laughs> it's almost like we're so like hard headed yep. that like we just keep going. And so I'm like, $400,000 is going to bankrupt me. Like literally, I've paid my guys, I've paid material. Like I don't, I'm not... I'm not at a place where I can survive this. And so I, I'm reading the articles, I'm watching the news, and I saw that the guy, uh, this guy's name was Graham. He was the CEO and he got fired that morning and they put a temporary CEO in place who was the, he was the temporary CFO and they put him in, in as CEO. His name was Sean Heinrichs. I got it in the newspaper. And I remember one of my mentors telling me, if you need favor with someone, you got to get in front of them. They have to see your face. And so I tracked down the the Vancouver offices. I'm living in Nevada. I, I find the Vancouver office phone number and I call and I say, this is this is why all this is going down. I'm like, can I speak with Sean Heinrichs? And you guys are not going to believe this. The receptionist is like, can I ask who's calling? And I'm like, this is Mike from Queen State Gold in Nevada. I didn't say I was a vendor. <laughs> I just said, this is Mike from Queen State Gold in Nevada. And she's like, hold please. This is Sean. And I was like, holy crap. And so I've got Sean Heinrichs on the phone and I'm like, Sean, I'm one of your vendors. We have been over backwards to serve you guys. I'm sure you are getting bombarded right now. I know you're in the middle of a shit storm. I'm actually going to be in Vancouver this Wednesday. Can I come just sit down with you for a minute? And he's like, sure. What time works for you? And I'm like, one o'clock? I was not going to be in Vancouver. <laughs> there was no way I thought this guy was going to sit down with me. I jumped on an airplane, went to Vancouver, went to their corporate offices, sat down with Sean Heinrichs. And I'm like, bro, you are going to bankrupt me. Like, this is going to put me under. And he's like, listen, I know it's not a lot, but I've got an emergency fund here. I can get you like $150,000 right now. The rest of it's probably going to have to go through bankruptcy, but I can get you 150 k right now. He wrote me a freaking check right there on the spot. And then as things progressed and went on, I had this line of communication with Sean Heinrichs. I stayed out of all the legal battles, the bankruptcy, everything else. I got paid out in four months. It took everybody else like five years to get paid out. Just from that mm. little like no quitting sense. Like, so I'm just wondering like the companies that got put under, were, did, did they just give up? 
And there's all these little, like who would think that little thing that Barry Lipperelli put in my head of, if you need favor with somebody, you got to get in front of them. Sean, like there's no way I thought this guy was going to answer my phone. And then I'm like, I'm going to be in Vancouver. I'm making this shit up as I go. And then I get paid out. And so I'm just wondering, like, was that luck? Or, or was that like tenacity? And so that, anyway, I'll toss it back. But I've just seen so many times in my life where I could have went bankrupt so easy. But, you know, I asked, hey, can I borrow money? Hey, can you help me out with this? Hey, can you, you know, I mean, what do I do here? Right? Serendipity. The not, giving, the not giving up is... It's, it is profoundly everything. With every one of our stories, it's like, so what is, the is. next... What is the next step forward? Like, what is the next opportunity? And it's about not giving up until that, like, next opportunity happens. That's why I love to say when, when I, I echo what Mike says, when, when people are asking me, like, how did you have success? And what was your magic formula and this and that? I have the worst answer ever, but I have, I think, what is the best mantra ever that anyone can subscribe to, which is, just be dumb enough to believe in yourself every single day and smart enough to take action. And, and it's like, I've just been, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. You know, I, I'm not the most skilled. I'm just really fucking dumb to be so confident in myself every day and show up and work my ass off every day that I believe the chips will fall where they will fall knowing that my effort is where it's going to be at every day. And I think that in itself creates so much luck for so many people. I think we all have our own bankrupt stories. I've heard, I've heard Aaron's, I've heard Mike's, I know Ash has probably got some along the way. I mean, I remember when 2020 March hit and they were shutting down all the hotels. I was like, I'm done for. Like, yeah. There's no way I can carry this debt service for this long, knowing who knows where this pandemic is going to go you know, not knowing that they were going to open up three months later and hotels and travel was going to go bananas. My story could have been complete opposite where I was filing for bankruptcy and giving keys back to the hotels versus now my hotel values are doubling and tripling with me practically doing nothing except just continuing to operate them well, right? But I was just dumb enough to believe in myself and smart enough to show up and try and do the next best thing that was aligned with my goals and my vision. And I think having good counsel and good people around you is so critical and key, right? The fact that Mike is referring back to a mentor that planted a quote and a seed that kept him out of bankruptcy and led to who knows what path he has been on because of that, I think is a testament for every entrepreneur, every person going after goals, big dreams, big passions, is there will always be lots of opinions there will always be lots of hooks that pull you in one direction or another. But if you have an unwavering belief in yourself and you're just smart enough to show up and take action and chisel away at that, you know, that gold mine that you're chipping away on, whatever that might be, we're all pretty much three feet from gold if we don't give up and you don't need to be that skilled, capitalized or, you know, experienced. But if you don't believe in yourself and you don't show up every day to chip away at what needs to get done, you're not ever going to achieve the success that it is that you desire. And that's just my belief. Yeah. Well, with all this, I've got a one minute fire round question. We'll go to at the very end of the podcast. So we'll come back to it. I got one question that I think everybody will be able to answer as we close. I think it'll be interesting, but for now I need to hand the captain chair back over to Mr. Ash. So you can close, you know, so you can hit these last couple topics for us. So you are the captain now. Okay. What are we talking about? 
<laughs> and there's so many people want to hear about Ukraine. They want to hear presidential candidates. They want to, you know, what do you want to talk about? I guess, I guess, uh, what are we doing? Like closing rounds quick, like what's on everyone's thoughts. Um, you know, I, I feel, I mean, I'm in the global, global supply chain world, moving product manufacturing, China. Um, and so my worldly views are, are becoming more and more expansive. Um, you know, China is really going through something um, pretty intense here. The currency is changing quite a bit. Um, factories are hurting. Um, people are hurting. The real estate industry in China is hurting. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. And, you know, we're on the brink of something too here in the US. And as major trade partners, as major rivals, um, I think that there's going to be some really interesting things to watch. And we as a business are pretty dependent on the supply chain of China. And so, you know, and we've chosen not to significantly move operations from China to elsewhere for other reasons. We're not going to waste our time now. But so that's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, we're expanding into the Middle East and going into Southeast Asia and all over the world. So I think that's going to be uh, uh, something I'm going to be able to bring more global insight on what's happening all around the world. I'm really fascinated with the political race, specifically, um, and, I, and I don't mind sharing it here, like, I'm really enjoying and watching this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy. And I'd love to get you guys' feedback on who you're watching. Um, you know, I, I've been studying him for the last three to four months. He's growing like crazy. He's following his like, he's essentially gone from zero uh, public awareness to being number three in the Republican race. Um, past, you know, the old VP, like just past a lot of people. And he's, um, he's, he's getting really good traction. And he's something of, of like really fresh energy He's 37. I think he's 38 now, actually. And it's pretty cool to see somebody that young. I am biased because he's Indian, but really, I'm looking past that. He's so smart. He's an entrepreneur. He has no political experience whatsoever. And he's so clear, so upfront. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what happens with him. You know, RFK Jr. is interesting, but I think he's so focused just on health and vaccine and, and, um, and so I, I don't know about him per se. And I think just the, you know, my opinion is I think the U S in general is tired of these octogenarians running the government because I just don't think we're going to see any real material change. And I think Gen Xers and millennials, I think are looking for something different. And I think this Vivek guy is, is hitting it on the head, not only for the younger generation, but he's speaking to all people from all age groups, all across the country, and it's resonating. So I'd love to get you guys' feedback on that. Um, let's see, what else? I, I really do want to ask a question. I'll ask it now, and I'd love to maybe process it uh, together on the group. I'd love to know if we lost everything right now, or maybe a few years ago, and you had $100,000, a million dollars, or $10 million, what would you do? What would you do if you lost everything and you had $100,000, meaning somebody gave you hundred grand, or a million or 10 million? And would your answers be different depending on how much money you had and what would you do about it? And what would you do to like get your family back on your feet? I think that's a good question, but it's also relevant to people. Um, and so I, I thought I'd ask that question, but I'm excited to go home. 
I'm leaving Barcelona. I'm excited to go home. And that's what's going on with me. I will turn it to Mattier. Go, Bubba. <laughs> well, I think your, your, your one question around if you lose it all and you have money, that should be a great topic that I think theoretically we could all dig into next week on the podcast and come up. Because I think that's a real scenario for one, a lot of people right now. It's a potential scenario for people in the very near future. And it's a for sure scenario for anybody that is an entrepreneur, a business owner, taking investments, taking risk in the course of their timeline. So I think we should definitely save more time for that. Um, in terms of the present, and things are going to start heating up, right? I'm, I'm an independent. I don't like a lot of what I see on the far right. I don't like a lot of what I see on the far left. I don't feel like it represents me. And, and, and my family values and what we're doing. But I would say if I had to pick a side, I am disgusted by what I see on the left. And I lean a little bit more right based on my values, my pocketbook. And I mean, the left's plan is to essentially have, you know, Trump in a prison sale by Labor Day of 2024. So he can't debate, he can't, you know, campaign, he can't run for office. I think that's very interesting from the perspective of, He has such a unique opportunity to actually unite the country when it is so divided, and yet he can't get out of his own way with his personality and his narcissism, right? Mm. Righteousness versus Mm. narcissism, I think, is a perfect example there. Um, I guarantee he's done fraud in real estate. 100%. (laughs) I guarantee you he has too. I bet he has. I know that. And and while um, I am not necessarily aligned with Trump in terms of like him being a representative of who I am, I love that he's America first. I do believe he wants to drain the the swamp and the cronyism and the capital. You know the um, the you know the the issues that are kind of with the government. Um, and he's somebody that's uncontrollable. He's not on anybody's payroll. And that makes it very interesting to follow someone like that because I believe there's a level of transparency with him that whether you love him or hate him, I like knowing who he is, where he stands, and ultimately the fact that he doesn't have the same hooks that the other uh, candidates do. Ron DeSantis is a perfect example. I think he's yeah. much more well-spoken. I think I can align with a lot of his values and his policy. But at the end of the day, he's still on someone's payroll. And it's been very evident with his stances. And then certain people saying stuff, and all of a sudden, he's switching his stance because of some big donor saying, you want my money on your campaign? Well, you got to back this or say this or not say that. So I do like RFK. Um, Mm. I cannot stand listening to him. And I think that actually is going to hurt him as a candidate. It sounds weird to say that, but he's really hard to listen to. But I do he's think hard to, a lot he's of hard his, to listen to. But a lot of his stances are very middle, and I think more representative of a lot of the people on both sides that fall in the middle. So he's an interesting candidate, but the the left will not allow him to run because he's not too, as progressive as the left wants. Um, and I love, and I think why I love Vivek is because I think he is a perfect case study. Whether he wins or not, which I don't think he will. I don't think he will get the primary. He's a very interesting case study from the perspective of he is campaigning and approaching this 
from a perspective that no other candidate has. I don't know if you followed his um, kind of State of the Union podcast live that he did with uh, Pat um, David Bett. And it got a lot of good traction. It reached a lot of people that other candidates aren't reaching. And I think we're starting to turn this corner in politics and how things have been done and how they're going to be done going forward. And he is the person that I'm pointing to as a case yep. study for other younger candidates to follow. And I like a lot of All what candidates. he says. He's well-spoken. He has a very moderate and fair and empathetic stance, but also he's got his flag planted on certain things that um, people will or won't like. But I just like his approach and how he's going about it. Dude's sharp. He's young. I want more of that in our government. We do need to drain the swamp. I do believe that it's a uniparty now and not a right and a left. Um, and it's whoever's got the most money that's dictating and pulling a lot of the strings. And I think this presidential election, if I'm going to get real extreme and out there, and I'll leave it with this, Trump should win. And the left will not allow it. It will not happen. They will pull something, in my opinion, call it conspiracy theory or not, there is no way the government, the elite uniparty will allow Trump to get in office ever again. There will be a civil war before that happens. And there could be some things that they do that create some massive tension and division going forward. I think this is going to be the most contentious presidential campaign and election we've ever seen in the history of our United States. And I think it will set a tone and create um, it will create some major division going forward, no matter who wins. Worse than it already is today. Yeah. I think Vivek's going all the way. Mooch, go. The, <laughs> um, you know, in our chat, we, hear, we see Trump 2028. The, he's going to run for the rest of his life, man. Um, uh. I think... I think I marry, I, I think I mirror a lot of Maddie's stuff. I think the only problem, any candidate that can't win shouldn't be running, but, but if, but anybody that should, that is going to win needs to have the never give up scenario. So that's why we have all these other people. I can't wait to talk about next week about what we would do if we went back to zero. I've done it three times. I know exactly what I would do next time, but knock on wood, I'm done with that. Uh, <laughs> That's why I want to ask the question because if, yeah. if Mooch doesn't, people don't know Mooch's story. It's incredible. So we need to we need to process that. Yeah. So I know the I know the zero and back. I know exactly what I would do. And people, I think people be uh, yeah. I don't know if they'll be excited or not. I just I did a quick Google of like who are the ten Republican candidates right now? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley. We've heard about Nikki Haley a lot on the All In podcast. Uh, Glenn Youngkin, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Vivek, uh, Doug Burgum, and uh, Asa Hutchinson. So a lot of people that are in government already. Um, you know, uh, what I would really like to see is Jamie Dimon or Mark Cuban or Steven Schwartzman, you know, the owner of Blackstone. You know, whenever, anytime when somebody came out with their biography, when Schwartzman came out with his What It Takes biography a couple of years ago about Blackstone, I was track. really hoping that he was doing that so he could see if he should run for president and see how many people care about his story. Because what, um, why Trump was successful is he was a non-politician that loved his country and he knew how to run businesses and he didn't care about 
you know, he could hire and fire people. So he could hire and fire people in other countries. He could like do the hard things. Didn't care. Um, who I think would be best equipped to run our country is not a politician. I think a big successful business person that's already done everything else in the world that would say, you know what? I've done it all. I don't need more money. I don't need more anything. Let me go try my hand at being president. So I don't, we don't have one of those guys running. I mean, maybe Vivek's one of the most similar ones, but right now I'm not looking at that list saying I'll be really excited about uh, any of those. I think that it takes a politician, I think it takes a entrepreneur that doesn't give an F about anything because they have enough money and everything else. It doesn't really matter. I think it's going to take an entrepreneur not a politician. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get it. Um, I also am a uh, man. We're going to get canceled. I'm a big fan of Trump, but I also know that the, but who knows if his ship has sailed and if him staying in the election really just inhibits the Trump replacement that I would love to see. Um, I could look at all those other candidates and say, I mean, I if love Trump walks away, there. there's a whole slew of people that will come up. There are other entrepreneurs that would come on Mm-hmm. Not, but no entrepreneur is going to come on and run against Trump no. because he is the entrepreneur that also has the ability to be polarizing. And I think about Mark Cuban, for example, like, and he, you know, he, who knows if he has any interest ever or not in something like that. But people, why did people like Trump? Well, he had TV shows. He was recognizable. He was funny. And he was a successful business guy. Like you think about like Arnold Schwarzenegger is the governor of California years ago. You think about Ronald Reagan used to be an actor uh, before he became president. Like, like the way that an entrepreneur gets to come in is if it's an entrepreneur that's also likable, that also has some sort of TV persona. Um, that's the magic pill that we don't have. So, um, so I'm mm-hmm. disappointed with what I see on our election prospects right now. And um, yeah, Mikey. Joe Rogan. It goes back to people who have influence. When you talk about people outside of politics, it's people who have influence, right? I mean, it's why we all have podcasts, huh? So you have you have to have influence, but also to be the president, you also be, have to be capable of running multi gazillion dollar companies. That's yeah, sure. like the biggest the biggest company in the world. So you have to have you influence who, and ability. You know who I think is going to be a future presidential candidate that fits that bill, and they've already said they want to do it. Mm. Logan is Paul. That- the, is well, that the I don't know about his CEO skills, but I'll have to read the, I'll have to watch his documentary. Mm-hmm. Prime is going to end up being a multi-billion dollar exit for him. Crazy. Mikey, take us home. Have you guys read The Fourth Turning? Mm-mm. No. It's a really good book that came out, I don't know, 10, 10, 12 years ago. But they go back and they track cycles in history. And they just came out with a new book called The Fourth Turning is Here. And it talks about how, um, and again, these cycles, they go way back thousands of years and things happen in 20 and ultimately 80 and 120 year cycles. Um, so the fourth turning, I think it was written in the early, like maybe 2012. They go back and track all of this. And then the new book that just came out, I'm not finished with it yet, but it's, it, again, it's called The Fourth Turning is here. And they talk about how... Um, the polarization and, and civil conflict, global war, all the above. Like if you look at the timelines, it has to culminate in the next like five to 10 years. So like 2030-ish. And so, by the way, I'm not saying we should just throw our hands in the air and not worry about any of it. But what I am saying is that, you know, and I'm, I'm, 
I'm a half a glass half full guy, but but also like I think we're just in this really pivotal time that it just has to get a little bit more um, challenging. I mean, when you look at this, will be a conversation for another day. But when you look at like what we're saying with globalization and and the divisions of countries, and you know the United States being a global power for the last you know eighty years, really, if you look at if you read the fourth turning and you see everything that's happened in in twenty year blocks it it kind of makes sense and so you know back to the presidency i i think things are going to have to get a little bit worse before we rally around someone that's actually going to pull us together a middle of the road kind of person like i'm a huge fan of just to answer the question i'm actually a huge fan of of rfk myself like i just think that and ashish you said earlier you know his focus on vaccines and all that what's interesting is he's not really that focused he's got a lot of other amazing you know, viewpoint. Everyone just focuses him on that. Yeah. And that's the real problem that I think, you know, he's up against. But, you know, when you look at some of these middle leaning characters, like I've been saying this for years, the pendulum has to swing. And I don't, I don't, whether it's right or left, I'm kind of like where Maddie is. I'm more of a centrist. And, uh, but, you know, if RFK had a chance, like it'd be the first time that I'd vote Democrat of my life, probably. Um, But I think things have to get a little bit worse before we come together and rally around someone that can actually be more of a centrist, I think we're going to continue to swing a little bit longer, you know, back and forth to extremism. Um, and so I don't, I just don't think it kind of matters at this point in time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put too much stock into any one candidate because I don't think we're far enough gone yet where we're going to mm-hmm. rally as a country around someone that could actually make a difference. It's just my, my two cents. Yeah. And we go full circle to the story of luck and fraud. Yeah. <laughs> luck and fraud and back. I think if we're ready All to close the this out. the top of the pyramid. The top of the pyramid. You know, I think if we're ready to close this out, guys, listeners, if you guys are listening to this or watching us on YouTube, you could probably see how much fun we're having and how this could easily become a three or a four hour conversation and how hard we are working to actually like get our point across quickly. We're all podcasters. We're all used to going through this. And so we're asking you guys to continue to give us feedback and bear with us as we're having like this super exciting time. And I think today we're like, we'll get out of here in an hour. And it was probably an hour and 20 and thanks, maybe an hour and 30. And thanks for being here as we do this. Because again, like we love these topics and each one of us has a list of things we still want to talk about and hit on these. So we will get better at our craft with this as we start to nail some things. You know, next week, we're going to talk about what would we do if we went to zero? Maybe we'll get to talk about, I really think we should spend five or 10 minutes on Ukraine next time because I think there's this philosophical question. I love the philosophical stuff that we did today when I went took a philosophy class in college, that, you know, right and wrong. We got to learn that it depended on culture. As we wrap with our fire round question, it's really quick. It's going to be like a one word answer from you guys. So the, but it goes back to, as we think about presidential candidates and right and wrong. I got two characters in the world. So Bill Gates selling a product at the beginning that he didn't own, committing fraud, you know, lying to make it, it, to then build his gazillion dollar empire or Walt from Breaking Bad. So the one answer question, the one, yeah, the one word question, one, one, you know, the answer I'm looking for, Walt, is it immoral what he did? 
you know, and like we could do like immoral, unethical, whatever the word is, but there's all this gray area that we live in. And we say, if it's a hundred thousand, doesn't matter if it's 10 million, it does. Walt, immoral, unethical, or no, because of what he was going through. And then Bill Gates, immoral, unethical, or no. One word answer, Maddie, you're first. What's unethical. Both of them. What, what, what did he say? Both I them. say, yeah. Unethical. Walter, Walter White, immoral. And right. unethical. <laughs> but I think, I think Gates is unethical. That moment. All right, cool. Mike Ayala. Uh, immoral, unethical, desperate. Both. Both. Well, maybe not. Bill Gates probably wasn't desperate. I don't know. I don't have enough context around Bill Gates. Like, honestly, go watch that Pirates of Silicon Valley. You're going to love it. The, he sucks uh, either way. Yeah. I, yeah. I, but, you, I just, but you care about something else. I'm talking about building, building a billion dollar empire by selling a product he didn't own within like a 24, you know, like, all right, Ash, up to you. Okay. But in that, I think in that context, I'm gonna answer it. I don't know enough of the story uh, of Bill Gates at the early stage. I will watch that documentary. I think that the word that shows up for me that makes them similar is that they were both persistent. I don't know is if it your, was that that's your final or not. That's my final right. answer. I think the not giving up thing that is deep inside us could take any one of us to the edge of unethical and immoral the things that I would not do to feed my kids is a very small list, unfortunately, for right or wrong. So the, mm -hmm. ability, the, the, the not give it up thing, I think there, people are a lot more willing uh, to be there. Immoral, unethical, I think what Bill Gates did was brilliant when I saw it. And I use the story all the time. And the, but yes, in the law, it could have been very, very questionable. Instead, he became a gazillionaire. Um, Walt. Man, would I do something like that for my family? Uh, I hope not at this point in my life, uh, but I've done some very questionable things before. So was his immoral? I think it, sorry, one word answer uh, <laughs> is my two word answer. It was okay until he killed somebody. So that's how philosophies can, act, philosophical <laughs> stuff can actually change. I think there's becomes a point of like doing a little white lie or gray area is okay. But size matters. Let's say that. So when it comes to our philosophical argument of the day, I'm going to finish that with size matters. Ash, as our hostess with the mostess, any final thoughts as, as you close this out for us? I think you did a great job, Mooch. Um, I, I, I think this was a really good episode. I love how you called out to the audience. You know, guys, we are definitely still piloting this. I think this has been super fun for us. We're getting a lot of value out of it, having a lot of fun doing it. Hopefully you guys will too. And we'll just get better at picking topics and providing feedback and asking questions, um, really focused on how you can get the most value out of it. So, you know, Maddie has a, a phone number that he's dropped in the show notes. So make sure you give us feedback. You can communicate to any of us on our Instagram handles, on any of our podcasts, but leave comments. Um, we're dropping it everywhere until we don't. Um, so just keep engaging with us and uh, letting us know what you love, what you don't love. And good seeing you, boys. We'll see you next time. You guys were amazing today. Great stuff. Good job. <laughs> <laughs>